Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. Happy April, or whenever it is, wherever you are. <laughs> Today, we start a new work, the Bibliotheca, or the Library. It's a collection of Greek mythology that was once attributed to one Apollodorus. Um, one of my sources says of Athens, and another says of Alexandria, but it doesn't matter because they're both wrong. <laughs> the Apollodorus, who supposedly wrote the Bibliotheca, lived 400 years too early. He lived in the 2nd century BCE, and this work is believed to be from the 2nd century CE. So we don't know for certain who wrote this work, um, so, and since we don't know that, we just call the author Pseudo-Apollodorus instead. Um, we don't have a name other than the one that we know is wrong. <laughs> um, the surviving text is incomplete, but enough of it survives to make it a useful source for Greek mythology. Um, the translation you'll most likely find online is by James George Fraser from 1921, um, which is what I'll be working from. It's still available in print, but uh, since it is in the public domain, it is also free online. I will be working from both Theoi.com and the Perseus Project, um, but it's the Fraser translation that's um, posted on both of those sites. Or Fraser, sorry. I added an I in, <laughs> I in there, Fraser. Anyway, the text is divided into books, kind of like an epic, um, but it's not, I mean, it's not really an epic, but it has that structure of, of books because, but then each book, like a book we think of today, is divided into chapters. Um, we're going to tackle one chapter in each episode, uh, and this is why. I felt like the books were too long to do an individual episode on. Um, the chapters are really short, but at the same time, most of the these Friday myth episodes have been fairly short. So I think I think that works well with kind of the format, the format I've established here on on this podcast, doing these these little brief snippets on Fridays. Um, so so I think it works well. Anyway, so with that that brief introduction, because there's not much else I can can tell you uh, to set up this book. Um, because like I said, we don't know who the author is. Uh, other, we know who he's not, but we don't know who he is. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll take a short break before going through book one, chapter one of the Bibliotheca. First, there was Sky. He married Earth, and their first children were the hundred-handed, Briarius, Gies, and Cotus. Um, other sources say Gijes, but Pseudo-Apollodorus says Gies. They each had 100 hands, obviously, and 50 heads, which may not be in their name, but is proportional to the number of hands that they have. Their next three children were the Cyclopes, the Cyclopes, Argis, Steropes and Brontes, and they each have only one eye, but for some reason, Sky decided to throw them into Tartarus, which is as deep as you can go in Hades. So, like, if you were to draw a line, like, you know, a number line, Earth would be in the center, say, at, at zero, um, and Sky and Tartarus would be equally distant on either side of Earth. So, you know, if, if, 
sky is t- t- positive 10 away from Earth. Tartarus is a negative 10 away from Earth. Um, so, you know, about as far apart as they can get from each other. Sky really didn't want the, the Cyclopes anywhere near him for some reason. Then Sky and Earth had some more children, and these ones were the Titans, Ocean, uh, Coeus, Hyperion, Creus, Iapetus, and Kronos, and the Titanides, Tethys, Rhea, Themis, Nemosyne, Phoebe, Dione, and Thea. So we've got um, gender differentiation there between the the male Titans and the female Titanides. Um, Anyway, now... Earth was understandably upset that Skye had thrown some of their children into Tartarus, so she convinced this last lot of children, the Titans, to attack their father. She gave Kronos a sickle made of adamantine, and they all attacked Skye. I mean, all of them, except for Ocean. Anyway, Kronos used the sickle to cut off Skye's genitals and throw them into the sea. And from the blood that came from, from that wound were born the Furies, Electo, Tisiphone, and Megira. And then the Titans went down to Tartarus to rescue their brothers. And they all agreed that Cronus should be the new king. But once Cronus was king, he decided that he didn't want his brothers to be wandering around, and he locked them back up in Tartarus. And then he married his sister Rhea. Now, both Sky and Earth had told Cronus that he was going to be overthrown by his son, so he got into the habit of swallowing his children as soon as they were born. First was Hestia, then Demeter, um, I don't know why I wrote Hestia twice. That's not right. That should be Hera. Then Demeter, Hera, Pluto, and Poseidon. <laughs> Rhea was, understandably, angered by Cronus's regular eating of their children, so she ran away to Crete and gave birth to Zeus in the cave of Dicte. Uh, some authors say it's Mount Ida, but this storyteller has chosen the tradition that says Zeus was born on Dicte. Anyway. Rhea then asked the Curites and a couple of nymphs, um, Adrastia and Ida, so we see Ida come in here in this story, um, to care for him. Uh, the nymphs had a goat named Amalthea, um, and Zeus was fed on Amalthea's goat milk. And and um, outside, the Curites stood guard, and they banged their spears against their shields to drown out when the baby cried or laughed or, you know, made noise because kids make noise. Um, and Rhea went back to Cronus and gave him a stone that she'd swallowed, swaddled, and that is what he swallowed, thinking that it was the baby Zeus. And that's the end of chapter one, so that's where we'll stop the story for today. There um, is a, something really interesting that I want to note, though, um, so we're going to take a short break and come back for a brief discussion to close this episode. One of the the great things about using the Perseus project is that all of the footnotes are easily accessible. With ebooks, footnotes are typically changed to endnotes, and it is always awkward. I don't care if you're reading an ebook or paper book, it is always awkward to flip back and forth between the page you're reading and endnotes. Um, so ebooks are great and portable, but they are awkward for research. Um, like I said, I don't re- I don't like endnotes <laughs> in general. I want I want my notes to be right there, right on the page that they're referencing. Um, it, I, I just much prefer 
much prefer footnotes to endnotes. Anyway, um, I debated about whether to even do a separate analysis section. And initially, I was just going to, you know, talk about points kind of like I pointed out some of the differences in mythological traditions um, as I was giving the summary. Um, and, and I was initially just kind of kind of do that. But then I saw I saw a footnote um, as I was going through this on the first year's project. And and this merits dis- merits discussion, I think. Um, have you ever heard of ultimogenitor? I hadn't. Um, it's the opposite of primogenitor, which may sound more familiar. Uh, here in chapter one, we see the throne pass from father to youngest son. Cronus is the youngest son of Sky, and Zeus is the youngest son of Cronus. And as we've already read in Hesiod's Theogony, we know that the throne will pass from Cronus to Zeus. This is ultimogenitor. Primogeniture is passing the throne to the firstborn, and ultimogeniture is passing the throne to the lastborn. So why does any of this matter? Other than it's interesting. Hadn't thought about it. I should have. I know these stories. But anyway, no. Why does this matter? It it should raise the question of why is this the story that we're told? <laughs> what does this tell us about society? Myth is not fact, obviously, but it is a reflection of society. And since this is a recurring theme, we have to ask, so we have to ask if ultimogeniture was the form of inheritance when these stories were first told. Uh, so it seems like there must have been a time when there were the old gods, right? When the the gods you worshipped were, say, Cronus. Um, and then at some point, the new gods uh, came, the, the Olympians came and overthrew the Titans. Uh, so historically speaking, what, what happened at that point? So Zeus d- is, does come to power through ultimogeniture, but, um, but he is the one who figures out how not to be overthrown by any of his children and stops that form of, of transition, transfer of power. So, um, so does that mean that we're seeing something in these stories about a change in society from one in which the youngest son inherits to one in which the oldest son inherits? Even though, again, we don't see see Zeus. No one inherits from Zeus. Zeus stays in power through for as long as these myths last um, as, a, as a religion. But do we, you know, what... What does that what does that story tell us about what was happening in society? Um, which it, it it's interesting. It, like I said, it merits it merits discussion. It merits thinking about. Um, anyway, what do you think of the Bibliotheca so far? Uh, obviously, we like I said, the chapters are really short, but I, I think going through a whole book it, it would just be too long. So um, so that's why we're we're breaking it down to little little snippets. Uh, pop over to the blog and share any thoughts you may have. The blog is at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL is in the show notes. I'm also on Patreon as triumvirclio, and that URL is in the show notes too. On Monday, we will wrap up the Greek tragedy course. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.